Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy, with this week's Outstanding Life podcast, and I hope you are enjoying all of our podcasts, and don't forget, you can listen now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Player FM, and don't forget, you can also make donations at PayPal and support on Patreon, and I am so excited about today's podcast. You are going to love this one. I am with a great friend of mine that I met many, many years ago. And he is one of the coolest entrepreneurs I have ever met in my life. And today we are sitting here with Steve Perkins. What is going on, young man? Well, thank you, Johnny D, for having me. How are you doing? <laughs> man, I am doing outstanding. Well, you know what? What's really cool is we have your son here too. Justin, what's happening? I'm doing great. How are you? Now you guys are you guys are brand new to the whole podcast thing too, right? Absolutely. Yep. First time with a microphone in my face. <laughs> so, Justin, we're going to have some fun, having some fun with your dad. So I guess that we are going to co-host this and have some fun with your dad. Steve, you know, I want to get right into this. And and uh, where were you um, from? Like, where were you born, raised? Well, I was born in Fort Worth, Texas, but be quite honest with you, I lived all across the United States of America. I had the uh, great honor of having a father who was uh, hired by Chevrolet Motor Division when I was a year old and uh, transferred uh, 13 times. Wow. Uh, as he was being promoted. And that wasn't all the 13 different states. It was the nine different states that are with 13 promotions uh, or 13 transfers, I should say. So uh, learned a lot living all across the country, met a lot of fun, cool people growing up. And, and um, I was fortunate too, that my dad's friends were uh, my friends. Okay. So, so you, you started off in Texas. How long were you in Texas for? I was there until the the old age of five years old, and then uh, from there transferred to Detroit, Michigan, which was quite a shocking thing for a five year old. Yeah, you, I didn't know you were from that. That you lived in Michigan for a while. I lived in Michigan three different times for a while. No kidding. Honest to gosh, yeah. My last time there, though, I helped unload the truck that moved us up there. And I turned right around and got back in the truck and went with a drug driver. And uh, that was the end of my, my last time I moved to Michigan to stay. I was 19 years old and said, I've had enough. I, <laughs> now, was it the winters that you didn't like? or I think it was the winters. Yeah, I don't know. I, I uh, never have enjoyed real, real cold weather. But, uh, no, I just wanted to get out on my own. I, I liked uh I like being, I just like being my own guy. Yeah, yeah. So, Steve, I mean, I look at you now, and you are a very successful businessman. I have to ask, though, what was your very first job? My very first job uh, that you could call a real job, a paid job, was at a, uh, uh, being an extractor of honey at a bee plant, uh, which was me and two other of my friends locked up in a room at about 110 degrees in El Cajon, California. Uh, during the summertime, and uh, we weren't even allowed to taste the honey. We just, just we had to take the honey out of the out of the hive and or extract it from the from the hive. How much money did you make back then? To three dollars and ten cents an hour. Is what no we were kidding. Paid. Yep. Was that worth all the stings? No, sir. I I got stung. Uh, That's great. I got stung probably. A minimum of six times up to about 12 to 15 times a day. No Because I learned a dead bee can sting you as just as much as a live bee if you touch it. Wait a second. I thought that they have those suits, though. You have the hats, the all that gear on and everything else, and they could still get in? 
No, we didn't wear any of that kind of stuff. We had T-shirts and <laughs> jeans, and uh, we were well. We were, you know, they'd already smoked the bees, you know, put them to sleep as they call it. Yeah. But so there was live bees flying around the room, but the dead bees that were in the hive that you know uh, they would sting you as well if you touched the stinger. So a quick, quick funny on that <laughs> is that I uh, we had a I was going out on a date, a brand new girl I just met, and I really, really liked her. She's hot, and uh, at least I thought. And uh, that very afternoon before the date, I was stung in the lip and stung on the back of my hand. And Kylie Jenner. Yeah. (laughs) My hand swelled up to look like a softball because I had been stung so many times there. I guess it became an allergic reaction. But in my lip, it swelled up to be the biggest bongo-looking lip you've ever seen in your life. This thing would just flop it in the wind, you know. What are, what are, what are, Wait, what do they call that now? Uh, that, that that's something uh, the bottle in, challenge or whatever. No, yeah, the, no, the oh. stuff you put in your lips. Oh, uh, uh, the yeah, uh, uh, like a plate or something, you know. I don't know what it is. But yeah, yeah. And yeah. you were only what sixteen years old at that time. Oh yeah, yeah. So Botox. I show up. I show up at her door, you know, and I didn't think she liked me a whole lot anyway. I was just lucky enough to get a date with this chick, <laughs> and, and, and so I think she just looked at me and goes. I think we better ch- schedule for another night. That was it. Uh, <laughs> so, so how long did you do the whole B thing? Oh, it's just a summer job that okay. that particular summer. And then, so my next job after that, though, I worked for a drive. Worked at a drive-through uh, uh, service, uh, like grocery store. Okay, a convenience store that you drive through, get milk and bread and bacon and eggs and candy. And and it was a drive-through? Yeah, this thing was crazy, man. We had, I mean, you'd pull into this thing, and it was lined with a refrigeration unit. You're one-man band in there. You know, here I am, uh, about 16 and a half. <laughs> and these old people pull in their cars, and they didn't get out. Give me a gallon of milk, a pound of bacon, uh, some some of that honey-baked ham over there, <laughs> uh, lily-white bread, you know, just whatever, you know. Have a whole list of Jab, whole, <laughs> like like a grocery bag, you know. Right. And I'm trying to keep track of this in my head because if you didn't go fast, I got mad at you. So I'm picking all the groceries and putting it in their car, and then have to go ring it all up, you know. Yeah, that was and way ahead would, of its time. Oh yeah, way ahead. We they even sold gas, so you could get gas then drive in. Wow. And uh, did they sell yet. alcohol? No, no, we no? didn't sell. Beer That's only in Texas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, so so yeah, listen, Texas would have been legal. So you're 17 years old, almost six, 17 years old, 17 year olds old at that time were you good in school were you like one of those smart kids no i hated school every second of it I, really i i i dreamt of getting out of school every day the minute i left to go before i left to go there okay so i tell you how much i did like school to start with how my whole career started school <laughs> I, my mother took me to kindergarten and i was walking fine until i got to the door of that classroom and i braced myself in the door of hands Heads on the on the entry or on the, the frame, frame and my feet on the door frame on the bottom side, push it while the teacher was pulling and my mother was pushing, trying to get me in the classroom door. <laughs> and I didn't like it from that day on. So Justin, were you were now you know, you are the son and were you good in school? Did you love school? Were I, you I, just the opposite? I did. Um, you know, I really did enjoy it. And you know, there we are have quite a bit of opposites, uh, him and I. Um So you take after your mom then? Well, I guess. Uh, more studious. Uh, more studious. More pays yeah. attention. Uh, and uh, if the rule says this, they follow it. <laughs> B, I see the rule and I go the other direction. That's right. Yeah, so it's a good balance. It's a good mixture between him and I. You yeah, know? and 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 uh, we definitely pull out strengths, and we definitely can poke holes in our weaknesses too. Yeah, no, that's great. So, so you go, you you do that for a little while, and then you finish school, high school, 
And then what'd you start doing? Well, and hold on. Well, you got to remember, he moved all during this time. So you have to... That's the, true. The, the whole, we have to start asking him where... I mean, he you, went to high school probably in how many different... Four different high schools. Wow. And so just imagine growing up, trying to go to different high schools all all throughout the years and everything else. And Justin, did you just see him? He's like, no, actually, it was five. He was like <laughs> counting in his head. Five different times you... Yeah, I went to actually to five high schools. He, uh, we, we moved this one city. And is in Northern California, and this there was a new high school getting built on the opposite side of the city, so I happened to be on that side of the fence. So I sit, so it made it worse because I had to go over here, could make friends because I knew I wasn't going to be there. Right, and they moved me over to the other place, which then became a a half grade type thing where we dropped a grade, added a grade. So anyway, what what the rough part there was? This is where I learned to run though, because I <laughs> I had played sports all through. Now I love sports. I played sports all through school. And I went to school for the sports and for wood shop, metal shop, college shop. That's what I, I loved. Right. If I could stay there, I'd be a straight A student, perfect college scholarship. The uh, but instead, I had to do those other <laughs> classes, which you know, which I like. I just died at those. But the uh, not that I could do it, I just hated it. Right. Yeah. To make sense to me because I wanted to be a worker. I wanted to be. I wanted to run something. I wanted to do something. Right. I wanted to build something. I wanted to work on stuff. So the thing that killed me was I'm sitting there thinking, this is useless knowledge. So everything they're trying to give me, it may benefit this guy, but it ain't going to benefit me. Right. Because I already had my mindset what I was going to do. That was be in the automobile world, right? So that was pretty well predetermined. So you wanted to do exactly what your dad was doing? More or less, yeah. I mean, I, I did want to follow his footsteps. I mean, that was my big goal as a young kid. I traveled with my dad a lot um, growing up when he was in the field with Chevrolet Motor Division. Yeah. And um, and how old was how old was my grandfather, your dad, when when you were born? Oh, he was only twenty, twenty two, twenty three years old. Yeah, so he was growing up too. Yeah, he right. He was young. That's how old I was when I had my daughter. Well, well I was the, I was the same age as well. Yeah. I but a funny story with that though that Justin brings up is that my dad every time he would introduce me to somebody as we as I became an adult. That Steve and I grew up together. He said, "This, this Steve, my son, we grew up together." <laughs> well, and it just it makes me think, though, you know, the fact that he's moving constantly and adjusting to new lifestyles, yeah, and different cultures across the country, and then and also my dad is moving with him, and those two had to be almost best friends because you think about it, like you're constantly with new people or you're leaving people behind trying to meet new people, but you're constant is your family moving with you. And so those two probably did a lot together. Right. So did you think, do you think that you had to grow up fast? Absolutely. That yeah. was, that was, that was my goal was to grow up fast. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't get old fast enough, <laughs> you know? And I mean, and I think there's a lot of young kids, um, you know, some feel that way as well, you know, that are in some situations, but right. maybe something similar to the situation and I grew up in here. I'm not saying that anything was wrong. I had a great life. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Had, you know, stuff everywhere. My dad was mechanically inclined. We built cars together at a young, young age. Yeah. He did that to make a little extra money. I I, I, I dreamt of all that. You know, I mean, I would lay awake at night thinking about the car we're building. Right. And I'll never forget the first uh, things. Now, I was very studious when it came to reading Hot Rod Magazine. <laughs> And those kind of things. So I was I was really good at that. I could remember, you know, all the timing settings and dwell settings for points and you know uh, torque. Uh, so it wasn't just the pictures. Notes and bolts. No one just me. <laughs> I I studied all that stuff. I was building my first engines, V eight motors at fourteen. Wow. You know, With your dad? Actually, he made me uh, learn the hard way, and he came out and saved me after he was done. But the uh, <laughs> 
he 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 bought he had a wrecking yard engine and said here do it wow and so and I'd, i already had motorcycles and mini bikes and go-karts and all that stuff growing up so i i was mechanical right right but i had no idea you're supposed to mark all that stuff when you take it apart like the rod bearing caps of the the main bearing caps and what pistons went in which hole you know if it's used motor and so i just took it all apart and scattered it all over the floor <laughs> you know and uh so he walks out he goes oh you made a mess right there and so you know we had to figure it all out we made it work steve you told me a story earlier we were walking around your new man cave which is pretty awesome but you told me a story about you driving corvettes at the age of 16 years old or maybe you were 17 Tell the listeners about that story about how you had to wake up in the middle of the night and drive these cars from place to place. Actually, I was quite a bit younger than that. I was in the oh. sixth grade. <laughs> you were in sixth grade. Yeah, you weren't even I, old enough to drive yet. I wasn't driving now. I was oh, riding. So, okay, you were I, riding. Now, my first driving, though, is cars I snuck out that my dad didn't know. <laughs> well, that, I, that, that's and one that of the questions. I was at the age of 14, <laughs> and I rolled two of them over by the time I was 16 that uh, – that, he he didn't he never had proof that I did it because I had it fixed up pretty good before he got home. It was in the dirt, but that's a different story itself. So. <laughs> uh, no, so what we did was when it was sixty nine and a half, the uh, Chevrolet came out with a new Camaro and new Corvette body, but primarily the Corvette is the C three. Mm-hmm. So the C three lasted until about nineteen um, seventy. I want to say seventy. Um, five maybe 76 i could be wrong so all you corvette people out there don't go challenge me on that i don't i don't i don't have my memory's good but it ain't that great so but these cars had all of them and big blocks in them and things like that. a lot of different options that they hadn't had before uh for corvette so they went from basically 350 small block motors to to big blocks and that was the era where we had the kind of a slope back corvette and um so to keep the public from seeing that car, because it was a big, big deal. John DeLorean was running the car company at the time. And we a lot of us people out there may, may know who John DeLorean is, but he was definitely a, a, a cat character with his own right. Right. So uh, we flew, or General Motors flew those cars in, in the dark of the night, in cargo planes, in crates. And we uncrated them at LAX and drove them out to what was the Ontario Motor Speedway under construction at yep. the time. And so those cars were uh, tested all week out there. We had about 50 cars total. And so they were driven and driven and driven with all different types of ratios, some with automatic, some with four-speed manual transmission, some with big block, some with small block. So <clears throat> the idea behind it was that to run these cars as hard as we could, or at least I say we. I was I was just, I was a I was a passenger, right? But it was the best ride I ever had in my life. <laughs> the uh, uh, twenty four hours a day, getting ready for the world press. Yeah, literally the world press. And you said there were that there was going to be like four or five hundred different um, people from the press out there, right, from all over the world. Yeah, there's roughly uh, four hundred, maybe close to five hundred. Yeah, and uh, this was a big, 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 huge deal. So half the speedway was finished, but the road course was was. Uh, um, or I'm sorry, yeah, half was done, the road course was done. So we would run that road course, and I think they 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 destroyed one car by crashing it, rolled it over about three times on side to side. Then they tore up two transmissions, if I recall, blew three engines, and tore up one rear end. So it all together <laughs> wasn't a bad week. Right, So right. the uh, the uh, the idea was to get these cars prepared so that everybody could thrash them because we knew the press would just thrash them. Right. And, and we didn't need any bad press. 
And I, again, my involvement with my dad was so thick. I felt like I was actually, you know, doing this thing right, myself. Yeah. He took me out of school actually for the entire week. Wow. And, uh, and didn't care, you know, I mean, <laughs> what, what teachers and everybody would think today, because he wanted me out there with him, you know, to enjoy all that. That's cool. So we drove these cars like hell and then, and, uh, and got them already polished them up, touched up the wheels where they all scratched up. And that was a magnesium wheel. They called it magnesium paint back then, uh, kind of a brownish grayish tone to it. And, um, uh, so we get ready for the main day, and here comes a helicopter. And you never seen a helicopter that close before, no, have you? No, I've seen it in the air way up. But I had never <laughs> seen one, you know, right there. So here it comes hovering in there. You know, it's a big helicopter. Yeah. And that thing's roaring, dirt flying, everything, and steps out as John DeLore, the king, done stepped out. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, as a sixth-grade boy. That loves know, cars. You knew yeah, exactly and, who he and was. I knew exactly who John DeLore is because how my dad you know, always was acting anyway yeah. around, you know, and talking about, you know, John DeLorean and the, and the higher-ups at Chevrolet with never the thought he would run Chevrolet one day. He was right. zone service manager of L.A. Zone at the time. Okay. Back then, there were 23 zone offices across the country and the 12 regional offices. So um, that was a big, big deal. There was 30, at that time, 30,000 roughly white-collar workers. Wow. You know, that worked, worked in the GM category, yeah. most of them with Chevrolet. So there were field reps everywhere. There were server reps. So here comes DeLorean. My dad tells me to don't step out of line to stay, stay quiet because he knew I might run somewhere, you know. <laughs> so uh, here comes down the the uh, procession line. Yeah. I guess that's what you would call it. We're greeting everybody. Yep. And they we had rope off, you know, velvet-type roses, rope actually. But um, here comes Mr. DeLorean shaking hands with everybody. Hi, how you doing? How you doing? Look like the president of the United States, you know, coming across there, you know, and uh, quickly and and uh, and and so this whole deal was made up to be, you know, surrounded around this just gigantic thing, and it was. Yeah. So DeLorean walks by and he looks, stops, takes double look, sees me standing back there, you know, a little kid, but you know, <laughs> nobody would know a little kids there but me. Is it is ninety nine percent men. There's very few women in that business at that time. You yeah. Know? So he says, who are you? I said, I'm Steve Perkins, you know, the old big guy. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so the, uh, uh, I said, I'm, 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 um, my dad's Jim Perkins. He, he's, he works, he works on these cars, you know, or something like that. He said, well, good to have you here. He said, uh, he said, what, what did you do? Uh, what did you do here? You know, or what are you doing? And I said, I actually painted all the wheels of the post. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, he got a kick out of that because I all the line that held that rope off. Yeah, my dad. That was my task. Was out there, you know, three days before to start painting wheels and post. Right. You know, he's going to make that. So That's we used a, cool. we actually used a car wheel and made it <laughs> mounted, welded a post in the middle, which I didn't do the welding. Right. But the but I did the painting. The funny part about it today, we're in California at the time, you know. So you got OSHA rules, you got these teenage law rules, you got little bitty kid law rules, <laughs> right. you know, unpaid kid labor, you know. And I'm out here with no mask, no nothing, with a full blown air sprayer, you know, not not a paint can, a whole friggin' thing, you yeah. know. Uh, painting with car, real car paint. You know, this stuff's got blowback on me. I'm covered in paint. <laughs> so, Steve, did you ever make it into the car business like your dad? I did. What did, um, you, what did you start out doing? Well, after I got through that drive through grocery store job with the beat <laughs> deal, I was, we, we actually were California at the time. We were moved, transferred to Dallas, Texas. And um, on the Dallas North Freeway, was a was a dealership called Late Chevrolet, 
And Frank Lade owned it. Frank Lade was a very, very wealthy man, owned all kinds of other businesses besides that, several dealerships as well. Uh, you know, you're talking, I'm 62 now. And that was, I was 16 or 17 years old then. And, um, and so, you know, to be a guy who owned six dealerships, he was one of the first mega dealers, you know, if you want to yeah. call him that, to what would become later, you know, like the dealers we have today, yeah. hundreds of dealerships or, you know, not hundreds, but you know what I mean. Yeah. The, um, so they hired me and I actually took a reduction in pay to get a car dealership job. And we were, cause we weren't in California more cost of living was less. So, you know, it, it was all, it was all safe. So I was paid $2 and 10 cents an hour. And I would go there after school and I would clean the showroom floor, right? Their showroom floor there was huge. And so my job, and you could smoke then, you know, in the building. So people smoking on the showroom floor, smoking in the closing offices, smoking in the sales office, smoking everywhere, had ash, ashtrays all in the, you know, showroom. And the showroom held 22 cars and wow. it's terrazzo. The floor was. So my job was to go in there and clean all the windshields, clean all the glass, clean the fingerprints off the car, dump the ashtrays, clean the ashtrays, clean the handprints on the doors, you know, do all this stuff. And I so was, you're a porter then? I, yes. I was good at it. You know, I mean, I worked hard at it because, I mean, this is my first opportunity. Yeah. And I really wanted to move on to be a, be a uh, make-ready guy, you know, is what I wanted to be. But I didn't realize I had to take a couple steps first. So <laughs> I uh, got in there and did that. And uh, But when quick into that. So I asked Mr. Lake, or I asked the sales manager one evening, I said, you know, you think I could get a raise? I said, I've been here for half a year and I think I'm doing pretty good. Y'all pay me two ten an hour. He said, well, what do you think you ought to be paid? I said, at least a quarter more, you know? Yeah. And, uh, he says, well, I've taken up Mr. Lake. And so one afternoon, about a week later, Mr. Lake shows up. And so I get a, I get paged to Mr. Lake's office. Well, obviously he knew who I was because my dad. Yeah. You know, my dad was own manager at the time of of Dallas, of the Dallas Zone. So, but Mr. Late was a hard ass. <laughs> I mean, a real hard. And uh, matter of fact, I tell you how hard he is. A friend, a friend of his who I knew very well as a young kid uh, was a car dealer as well, Al Graff in the Graff Chevrolet in Grapevine, Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, he he'd tell him all the time. He said, "Frank, you so." mean he said they, he said he said you have to hire Paul bears but take care of you all <laughs> so i mean i'm serious so he looks at me he says why would i give you a quarter an hour raise and i said well because i deserve it i said i work hard i'm here every day right after school i spend my own days i stay here till eight o'clock at night you close at nine i stay till eight and uh he said well, why don't you stay till nine i said because you're not gonna pay me after eight they told me that when you hired me or when the guys hired me he said he said well i tell you what he said, you give me one more good reason why I should pay you uh, more extra money. I said, because if you don't, I got a better job down the street at Stakely Chevrolet. <laughs> <laughs> Did he give it to you? Yeah, he looked at me and said, he says, that takes some, you know what, for a 17-year-old for to say that to me. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, it is what it is. Bottom line, I still went to Stakely, though, a month later. We're no kidding. Yeah, I became a mechanics helper there. So, so what was your final job working in that in the automotive business? Um, as a general manager and, and a part owner of, of two different dealerships. No kidding. Yeah, I was thirty years old. Wow. When I got that, I went. I went from being a lot boy at seventeen to to a part owner by the th time of thirty. It kind of reminds me of the story of your dad when he first got hired in with Chevrolet, and I read the story about your dad would sit out in the lobby. And ask and try to talk to everybody who walked out. Yeah, tell that tell that story the way that 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 you know it. 
Well, the way is the way, and I've heard it firsthand from the receptionist because she became our good friend. Oh, really? Family friends later. Yeah, okay. Maureen Lowry and her husband uh, was Bruce Lowry, and Bruce Lowry owned a Chevrolet dealership mm-hmm. in uh, outside of Fort Worth in Arlington. So, and Randy Shapiro is a good friend of mine who um, was her, her 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 son. Okay. So the reason the last names are different because Randy's father, her original husband, died when Randy was just a baby gotcha so she then she met bruce and they married so um she my dad would he's working for firestone at the time and hated it and never wanted to work for firestone like goodyear better but anyway so <laughs> so he but he but he uh but it was a quick job he could get out of the navy and i was just born so he needed to make sure i got fed in diapers yeah and uh uh so he would go to chevrolet motor divisions zone office in dallas Every day at lunch and sit there. Well, everybody'd file out, they'd file back in, and nobody'd ever talk to him. And he went there for a month every day. He spent his lunch, and uh, yeah, wouldn't he pack his lunch and bring it in yeah. like a, a paper sack? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he'd bring his paper sack lunch. And so Maureen Lowry would just sit there and you know talk to him and you know <laughs> say, "Baby, you know she talked like that. she's a Texas yeah. gal, you know, baby, I hope everything will work out for you, baby. One of these days he's got to do it." So finally, Maureen intervened and said talked to Don Jones. She said, would you please talk to this young man? He sits here every day, you know, and you guys at least got to talk to him. So they brought him in. Well, they liked him and they hired him. And, um, my brother is actually named his middle name is after the man who hired my dad. Wow. Chevrolet was, was, uh, uh, Donovan Jones. So Patrick's Patrick Donovan Perkins. But anyway, I, I regress. That's cool. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the cool part about that at the end, was that dad was hired in there at the lowest level that there was possibly available mm-hmm. in Chevrolet Motor Division. That was a material return clerk at a scrap warranty parts that they wanted in, they wanted to review a little further beyond field review. And so they would send him in. He would look at it and see if the part was actually a failure part or if it matched up even to that car by timestamp or whatever the case may be. So he was did that well. He's promoted pretty quickly, and that's when we went on to Detroit. Yeah. Um, and in Detroit, he excelled really fast and several promotions there. The interesting part of that story at the end, though, is that when we returned to Dallas, Texas, he was brought back as the zone manager. So he left there at the lowest level and he came back at the highest level. Wow. And those people that were there when or that wouldn't talk to him, or they didn't talk to him because of being mean. Right, yeah. They just didn't have any reason to talk to him at the time. They <laughs> right. didn't, have, didn't have a spot, you know? So... uh those people are still were still there all those years later. Wow. Now I went I went from being born there and moving away from there at the age of roughly four years old and returning there at the age of seventeen. So seventeen years later is whenever he was promoted high enough over the years, being because we were in California for several promotions, mm-hmm. you know, and we went up and down the state. So anyway, bottom line is that came back as manager and all those guys who who again what filed past him in and out every day for lunch? Now they were all working. About <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> and he loved every one of them. Yeah, there wasn't anybody who was a problem. What know? was your dad like? Oh, my dad was. Uh, they hard. called him the, the the cowboy, right? Yeah, the fixer. The fixer. Yeah, he'd fix it. <laughs> I've heard <laughs> other things. But... Yeah. <laughs> Justin may have his own opinion or something. <laughs> No, him and Justin had a relationship in half too. Justin's great, initials great are the same as his. So it was JCP dad and jcp i'm jcp2 two, two. Mm-hmm. 
and then there's his daughter, his granddaughter, Julia, and then um, well, Julia is my cousin, and then uh, my son is a yeah is a JCP and JCP. So we got all these JCPs. Wow. So he was proud of to 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 call everybody JCP two, JCP three, yeah. JCP four. You know, yes. Yeah, he would always address me as JCP2. <laughs> and like emails and stuff he would send me, you know, JCP2. But his heart was huge. But I just tell you, growing up, though, you know, I was like any anybody who was challenged and worked hard and worked hard. And the one reason he was promoted the way he was, it wasn't because of um, his overly educated, you know, situation mm-hmm. or he had so much experience or whatever. He was very, very personable. People loved being around him. They loved hearing him speak. He was a great uh, speaker he was uh acknowledged everybody by name he took he spent a lot of time doing whatever it is that they were doing in other words if you went to a car show why well, everybody else would you know come in and leave and, mm-hmm. and i'm not gonna i'm gonna say it right now yeah you know there's corporate executives out there that i'm that i've witnessed that roll in look around and take off and act like they did their job and now that now they're going to go entertain or be entertained or whatever right. the case is and I hope I don't get fired for that saying that tonight by <laughs> by somebody else. But the uh, but the the point is this is that he stayed. He would go to an event, and he would stay there and shake every last hand and would be one of the last people to leave every night. And he listened to every customer they had too, and he invited that. Whereas a lot a lot of people are, are scared of their own customers, right? Because they, you know a lot of times it's a little bit of negative feedback. Wouldn't you agree? Well, yeah, well, and to to validate that, we saw it firsthand. At least I saw it firsthand at, at his funeral. Um, you know, we had people coming up left and right that that just shook his hand at a at a, a Corvette club meeting or or something. And you know, I heard multiple stories of um, people being invited to the to the club uh, meeting and and didn't really know what they were doing or what they were doing, and then and then. This gentleman would come over, greet him, and say, "Hey, how you doing?" And it would invite him to sit down at the table with him. Right. And they, and then the guy would invest in invest his time and everything else. And and the the people would not know who they were talking about, and later figure out that was Jim Perkins. Right. And they would be like, "Holy moly, Jim Perkins!" Like I had no idea that's who I was talking to. Right. You know, and it's like I might have changed my story a little bit if I knew <laughs> I was talking to Jim. Um. And and but I also heard though his his nickname was the Hammer too. Uh, in in some situations, um, because he was a great personal man. I mean, he he invested his he invested in you and your in your life and and getting to know who you were. But he also had the strong side of him too, the strong business side right. of him of having to make tough decisions, make tough calls, and also enforce and and, and lay down certain rules and laws and everything else when running a business. Guys, one thing that it seems like everything I read. Would you say that he was motivational, inspirational? Well, just pull up some of his YouTube videos. I mean, well, there's one out there that of him public speaking. I mean, I think he's probably one of the best public speakers. Well, and that's, and that's what I mean. It's that's like one of the unknown ones, you know. Yeah, or, or it's like he cared known. about everybody. He'd look you in the eye, shake your hand. Steve, you told me a story earlier about him writing handwriting letters to people right. that that he met. One of the things he was famous for was handwriting notes to people that he had met or had talked to him about one thing or another. And these would be casual acquaintance. And the guy, as a matter of fact, an interesting quick story with that. So 
about a month ago, maybe a little bit, maybe six weeks ago, there was a special event held in North Carolina by Bloomington Gold, and it was held at, at Hendricks at the Rick Hendrick Complex mm-hmm. for the race teams and the, and such as that. Beautiful, huge, huge complex. So Rick was kind enough to open that up to everybody, and so they get to go through the museum and they get to see the team center and they get to tour a lot of stuff. Um, Fifteen hundred Corvettes there to, to look at, wow. and and uh, from a lot of other places besides just the Charlotte, you know, area, obviously. So there's people in Virginia, Washington, I mean, all up down the Eastern seaboard. And, um, so they, they've renamed that to be the, the Perkins event. Now Perkins Bloomington gold, um, annual event held at Hendrick. And this was the eighth year that they had done it. So this was the first year for us. So they invited us and, uh, we'll be invited each year and very nice to have be remembered that way or him be remembered. They created a plaque, a beautiful plaque, uh, to give to a, the Perkins Family Award. So what we do is we chose a car out of all those cars yeah. that wasn't, wasn't necessarily from a uh, graded perspective. It was from just what we liked quality-wise. Well, right. my sister, I kicked her out, out real fast because she's like, you know, well, I just like that one. I like that one. Y'all don't even know what you're looking at. Because you know I mean? <laughs> they, they had new cars and old cars, you yeah. know, so, and everything in the middle. So I was trying to look more for a quality, nice car that you'd want to own, you know, besides a brand-new Corvette. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to own a brand-new Corvette right. just about. So, and then, obviously, everybody thinks about the 50s, you know, 53, 54, 55s, all that. So, the 60s are great cars. So, we came across this 63 uh, Corvette that was absolutely gorgeous cars, painted. Um, it's, uh, it's called Daytona Blue, I believe okay. it's called. And it had tan leather interior, which was the only color they offered in that era. Um, so we picked that car. Well, lo and behold, we had no idea. Lo and behold, my dad had met this guy at a dry cleaner in Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> my, no kidding. Yeah, my dad was picking his dry cleaning, and the guy uh, started talking to him, and he talked about his Corvette. Dad hadn't seen his Corvette, but he was telling about his Corvette. Yeah. Well, dad showed interest in him like he did everybody. And, you know, sometimes these cars aren't what people, you know, they, some of your cars, they, they're real <laughs> yes. cool car, but you get older, you're going, uh, yeah, okay. That's all right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a little thing quite all together. Right. Right. But, uh, and I've seen a lot of that in my lifetime. Trust yeah. me. Uh, thank you. Beacom auto auction and Barrett Jackson. The, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody thinks their car is worth a hundred thousand dollars. So anyway, uh, the guy beats, well, my dad hand wrote him one of his famous notes about, hey, nice to meet you, you know, this and that, and, this, you know, if you ever need anything, here's my card. I mean, just one of those things. Yeah. Well, it impressed this guy so much that he started doing that to everybody. He knew this guy's a business owner, and I guess he owns four or five different businesses of one kind or another. Mm-hmm. So he deals with a lot of different people and on and off and whatever it is that he does with these businesses. So he hands rights these notes. Well, he, he told us that after he won the award. He had no idea. That he was getting this award, right? So we name it, you know, we call out thing. He's hey, it's me. You know, comes up. So he tells this story that I'm telling you now on stage to all these people. Wow, rather how he met Jim Perkins, so on and so forth. Well, I'm thinking, well, this is crazy as crap. That <laughs> looks like we rigged this thing, you know, <laughs> you know that that, uh, that that we already knew this guy. Yeah, but we had never met him in our life. So anyway, that's cool. Now, now, what's one thing that that you took away from your dad that you're still doing today? Like, because you're a businessman, you have people, you know people, but what's one thing that you learned from your dad a long time ago that you are still doing today? Just be a, a person of, of integrity, 
be honest. Uh, stand up and do your job. Do it the best you can every day. Put forth everything you have in it. Um, you never, you never, never tell yourself that you're wrong. You know that you've got to do this differently, or you're not. Or mm-hmm. I, I, I'm saying that incorrectly. That you've chosen the wrong path. You know, stay. That's the path you made. That's the path you chose. And I'm talking about the business world. I'm not talking about you know life situation. Right. Where, yeah. Where you might choose the wrong path. And when I say the right the right path, if you know it's the right path and you, and you know it's the right way to go because you've had that experience, then stay after it and it, it'll work for you. But you got to create excitement, uh, enthusiasm uh, with your employees. Your employees have to be on your team. So that one of the most important things as well that he told me was your people. Obviously, you know, we've heard that a lot out mm-hmm. a lot of people over the years about people. Yeah. But you know what? You can talk that talk, but you got to walk that walk. Yep. And the way you walk that walk is you get out there and be personal with those people every day. Yeah. And then, you know, come in, sit down in your office, you know, wait, I, I, when I was in prior to Justin, um, you know, I was in there every morning, you know, one of the first ones here and I would meet and greet everybody in this building. I'd know what their kids were playing baseball or, you know, doing a dance contest yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. And you also want to make sure that you are involved in their family life to the level they'll allow you. Meaning, you know, if they need help, help them. Yeah. You know, let, make that known that you're available. And as an example, they need a tire, get them a tire. Mm-hmm. Need a battery, get them a battery. Right. You know, I mean, you can't expect uh, employees to always have maybe the privileged life that maybe you get to get to have a right. baby as an owner of a business. And I and I and I know as an employee myself for a lot of years that you know you look up at the owner and think, wow, they've got everything. But the truth is, they may not. They're hard. They're they're struggling to a degree like you. Yep. But they're well. But they're smart enough to keep not let the public see that or right. your employees see that. So my point with that is this: is that you know it's like the happy wife, happy life thing. <laughs> right. Well, happy employees makes a happy company. Right. You know, and so the happier they are, the better your company is. They're going to fight for you. They're going to fight with you. They'll get on that path and they'll ride with you on that path. I've seen it today. I mean, just coming in today. I mean. You, I think that we went around this place three different times since I've been here yeah. with you. Yeah. And you talked and introduced me to everybody. You knew what was going on in, in their life. Yeah. And, and then one thing I thought it was cool is you cook for your employees at least once a month. We try. I mean, there's uh, we're going to cook more often now. Whenever I, years ago when I was in, um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I here lately I've had a little bit of a, of a, back issue so yeah, that kind of slowed me down on but still that. i mean just just but prior to that how, yeah, how many business owners month. do that i mean that you know that's what, what i'm saying it. And yeah you know something? I, I love cooking <laughs> right so absolutely he cooks knows. pretty good too <laughs> you know so i make sure i get all cool cooking equipment but they you know what's funny is they love my fried catfish so i do cat fried catfish hush puppies you know and white beans and yeah all this stuff you know and they just go crazy so we cooked it funny story about that we cooked this one time first time ever right and that stuff is delicious. I mean, I'll just tell you, it's yeah. delicious. You know, everybody, oh, my God, Rita. So one particular employee of mine uh, was so overwhelmed, I guess, or I don't know if that's the right word with how good that fish was. The next time I cooked it, he was the first one in there, and he had this big old pile of plate <laughs> full of fish. I mean, stacked full of fish. I look around and said, Ron. Oh, I should just said his name. That's bad. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No one yeah. else. Yeah. No last name. We'll yeah. refer to him as Ron then from here on. <laughs> the... Uh, I said, you can't possibly eat that much fish. He said, oh, I probably can. I said, Ron, 
I said, we got 20 other people here behind you. One. <laughs> I said, if any left over, you take it. So it's funny, though, because it's like having to talk to your kid until he put his fish back. <laughs> Steve, you, you go from owning dealerships to one day saying, I'm going to quit all that and start cruising sports. What were you thinking? I mean, what were you thinking when, I mean, you had a great life, and then all of a sudden you stopped that to do something else. That had to have been a big change in your life. Well, quite honestly, it, it was huge because I never intended to be an out of out of the car business. I still feel like we're in the car business. Well, you we are car car merchandise, yeah. you know. But um, but yes, the day to day of retailing cars, wholesaling cars, mechanics, so on. I, I I missed that greatly at one point. I don't do it now. Right, right. I only look back and think, <laughs> what if? <laughs> you know. So what were but, you thinking? I mean, did did you go home and tell your wife, "Hey, listen, nope. honey." Guess what? Nope. I quit, and we're going to start a business. I was real bad about not uh, <laughs> not saying anything. Actually, it wasn't right away on starting the business. So what I was promoted up to become the general manager of those dealerships, vice president, part owner, so on and so forth. And um, uh, just something got into me one day that I said, you know what? I was young. I was, at that point, I was 31. That was another thing. I was too young to be in those positions. Right. I was way too young. I'll just tell everybody that. I was I was too young to be the service manager at twenty four years old, a big, big Chevrolet dealership, big mm-hmm. one. I was too young to be a used car, I was too young to be a sales writer, I was too young, all of them. But and were you I, good at them? You think your name carried that I weight was, though? My name carried a lot of weight. And uh I was good though. I did have talent. But the problem is I wasn't mature enough to handle you know, and you think you just threw out the, hey, there's an open job, I'm gonna apply for it, and people saw it and they were like, oh shoot, it's uh, it's Perkins, <laughs> and, you know, I don't know, we, he might stand out a little bit well, more. Our family name is was well known. I mean, my dad today, you know, at this point in time, he's a true um, icon. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And I mean, he rates right there with with the highest of the high with with Iacocca, Shelby, all yeah, those kind of absolutely, people. and. and um, I mean, he may not be a household name that they they were, but if you look at the history, you'll find his history is a lot is stronger, as strong as all them. You right? Know? Yeah. Uh, especially John Delorean. I'll just tell you that. I hello John Delorean fans, and I, my dad was a <laughs> lot stronger than John Delorean. I never thought about being. But the uh, so the uh, business idea. So you're sitting in a dealership one day, and then all of a sudden you have an idea. Of- well, no, not necessarily. I, so I I wanted to I wanted to get out of that world for a while. Okay. And uh, the reason why we gone to one price shopping and all this other kind of crap, and I came up, you know, even though I was young, still been you know really selling cars, what I consider to be the right way. Now, not saying it is today. Now, you know, now things have changed to where we're at today. So they went to this. Everybody's just experimenting because we we're in a terrible time of 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 economy. Mm-hmm. You know. And I thought, you know what? I'm sick and tired of fighting this kind of stuff right here. You know, we're not making any real money these days. And, and the economy's tight. Service's gotten slow. Um, parts gotten slow because of that. Body shop was, you know, going to be as many wrecks as you're going to have. They're going, you know, they'll, they'll stay good. Used cars were kind of okay. And interest rates were, were getting high, high. And, now, you know, today we think interest rates are high when they're 4.5%. Well, you're we talking about 12.5%, 13%. Right. You know? then, and that's the way the good credit, you know. So... Uh, I thought, well, I'll just take a break. I knew Dale Earnhardt, called him on the phone, said, hey, buddy. Now, uh, we're talking about Dale Earnhardt Senior. senior. Yeah. The right, yeah. Yeah. And I the said, man. Yeah, the man. The and I said, hey, I said, hey, buddy, I said, do you mind if I come to work for you for a while? <laughs> and uh, he said, well, he said, yeah, I guess. I said, I said well, yeah. I said, can I fly over and talk to you? So I flew over. Well, they introduced me to Hank Jones. So uh, I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what this is all about, but 
we'll see. So they, they said, uh, what, I said, what you got in mind? They said, well, we got a t-shirt and hat business. We think you'd be good in it. Maybe bring Chevrolet license in. I'm like, huh? I said, well, I'm thought more like I'd be on the sports marketing sponsorship <laughs> side of this deal, you know? And, uh, they're like, no, no, not really. We already got all that covered, you know, but this business is good business. So I said, well, what the hell? I want to do something different. I want to be around, you know, Dale, and I want to be around racing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, be up close and personal with that because I was a racer. I already had race cars. I already had race boats. I'd already raced everything you could race from the time of 14 years old, actually, my first racing, you know, till, till uh as a matter of fact, I even had dirt race cars, wing modifieds, all that stuff. Raced everything you could race. Right. Won everything you could win with them. And uh, matter of fact, he won a Sun Belt Championship, and that's Dale liked that a lot, you know, knowing that I did that. So, and I've been with him a bunch of races and been victory lane with him on several occasions, and and so it, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to get, I wanted to get into that if I couldn't be in the retail car world. So we got there for a while, uh, and they, and they, I mean, it's funny to me now because you look at, I mean, think of Dell Hart merchandise business, you know, and how lucrative it is, and still even to this day. And at the time, you were sitting there going, "Oh, I don't know about this," <laughs> right? You know, it's like. Yeah, because merchandise they, wasn't big back then yeah, like well, it is today. Well, no, no, it was huge. No. Oh, it yeah. was big. Okay. We were selling as many T-shirts well, a year remember, as Michael Jordan. No yeah, kidding. Well, and that's, that's what – I thought that's how the story went is they, they might have passed you a piece of paper that kind of showed how much you were going to be – you know, it's like, well, here's the here's the actual – here's what you're dealing with right here. And it had a, a dollar figure on it that was his uh, T-shirt and hat business. And uh, <laughs> Steve was like – Hmm. Okay. Well, this uh, this is a little bit different. Than I thought it was going to be. So, yeah, so, I so you see, fell into this. Yeah. Well, I'm like, well, no, not quite, but it, close. The uh, uh, so yeah. To Justin's point, they, I said, you know, I'm thinking, man, really, t-shirts has. I mean, seriously, I'm thinking, how much money can you make on twelve? Back then, we retail for like twelve bucks. Right. You know? Yeah. And uh, I said, Dale, I said, shit, I've, I've, I mean, y'all just give me stuff for free. I said, well, I don't need. Does people actually buy this stuff? <laughs> Because, you know, I never went to souvenir area. I'd go to the races, and I'd just be with them in the garage area, you know, the whole weekend. And um, he said, yeah, you'd be amazed. So he slides me what Justin said. He slides me the, actually their financial statement. And I looked at it, I go, damn, I ain't never seen a car that should make that kind of money before, you know. <laughs> so I said, well, yeah, I'll give it a try. So uh, so they actually had me um, uh go tr- to bring a Chevrolet license into them. So I ran that and they grew and I learned how that was done. And if it wasn't for the truck series, honestly, we would have never had this business you're sitting here at today. No kidding. The truck series, what got this going? So we knew in 94 that they were going to build or they were going, we we're going to race trucks. We just didn't know exactly where or how many races mm-hmm. we going to be driving or what, you know, some of the things about the truck. So I, uh, Went to NASCAR. I asked them about the series. They said, um, yeah, man. I said, you know, you want a license? Heck yeah. I said, I said, oh, that's cool. And they said, I said, I've got Chevrolet going to come with it. You know, that's what they convinced them. Well, I didn't have Chevrolet yet. I had talked to them. <laughs> so I go up to Chevrolet. I tell Chevrolet, you know, I got NASCAR in my pocket, but I hadn't officially got in my pocket. <laughs> <clears throat> so then from there, I went over to Richard Childress racing. And so they had Skinner in that black three truck. Yep. And then, um, so I got all, I wound up getting all that mixed together and Chevrolet was really serious about saying that there will be no competition by me at any NASCAR cup series races or Bush series races at the time they were Bush series only go to truck series races. That's it. Yeah. 
And these truck series races back then were all over America. They were in little bitty, bitty racetracks. I right. mean, we went, uh, we had, we had some racetracks that didn't help 6,000 people. They bring in temporary bleachers or standing room only tickets, whatever they sell. And, um, so we wind up with eight, 10, 15,000 people, some of these races, you know, but I was the only trailer, but Chevrolet restricted me to just that. But they also restricted me to bow tie truck racing only. So no Chevrolet racing, no, you know, none of that stuff. Right. Uh, just bow tie truck racing. So at this point, were you actually printing everything and making everything? No, we were, we were, everything was sourced out. Okay. Well, it was my designs, my ideas, you know, our stuff built a catalog decorated trailer so was it cruising sports then yeah okay i was gonna gotcha. say i think we kind of glossed over how we transitioned from yeah from uh working with del Earnhardt to the found start of cruising sports yeah so how did that happen and, well, how, and so, how did you come, up, right. come up with the name <laughs> that was a beer drinking story <laughs> name. It's, not, it's not even spelled right <laughs> <laughs> i love it the uh well <laughs> Um, so how how did you get the cruising sports started? So we we do the truck series come in, as I said. We flew out to to uh, Tucson, Arizona. Went to the fairground speedway out there. They had a little exhibi- uh, exhibition race they showed. So I was there, uh, all kind of undercover too. Nobody knew that I was you know was doing all this putting together. You yeah. Know, except for Joey Tillman. And um, Joey Taylor was part owner of Sports Image back in the day. Mm-hmm. So after we determined that, you know, these, that Chevrolet and NASCAR and, and Richard Childress would go with us, that I decided to, you know, to, to go ahead and incorporate. Okay, so you that was all while you were still Sports Image with Sports Image. Okay, but I, but I wasn't totally doing it against right company because part the, one of the owners was with me. Right, 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 yeah, you know, and willing to finance part of it. Right. The other part wasn't so excited about it. But he found, learned about it. So he, he, he matter of fact, he uh, he went crazy. He went so damn crazy. He just threatened to kill Earnhardt and me. And I'm not lying to you. They actually—that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And I'm not lying to you, man. They, they had highway patrol and everything else out watching me. They, I was advised to keep my windows closed, my curtains closed, all this stuff. Yeah. So I started cruising sports actually in in the uh, the living room of our home in Charlotte, North Carolina, on the floor. I had no desk. I had no. We had a vacant room, uh, dining. It was supposed to be a dining room, I guess, and we had nothing in it. And so I'm pretty sure we just moved into that house too. We weren't we weren't in there very long when all that. No, I worked for him for about two years. Okay. So, um, um, I'm sitting on the floor. So I don't have any money at all. I mean, I'm just working for Joey Tillman and them. All the money I had made from all that other business I had, that was all gone. <laughs> you know, I mean, would just however it went away, it went away. And um, uh, but. At the end of the day, you know, going back to that, those businesses, I don't want everybody to think I got some kind of rich out of those things because, you know, when you, when you settle that out, you about owe money back. You know, you, everything right. you thought you had, you owe back, you know, to either the, the, the real owner or the IRS or somebody, you know. Right. So, and then there was a dry spell where I was trying to figure out which way I was going to go or what I was going to do. Um, um, bouncing around, so a lot of money went, or a lot of things went different ways. So back to back to the uh, cruising sports day. So we get it all done. Decide we're going to do it. I go over to Joey's house. Uh, the part owner of Sports Image now going to be part owner of me. 
the name, as you said, how did it come about? We're over here. Joey loved to drink beer. <laughs> and so he would he was sitting there drinking beer and one night and I was Friday night and I was over there uh and we're trying to think of a name. So he wanted it to be more generic, not racing, you know, because a lot of stuff back then was some kind of racing tide right. name. And um so he came, he said, Let's call it Cruising Sports. I said, why Cruising Sports? I said, it sounded like a boat cutting. <laughs> and uh he said, you know, he said like when the cars crash, they come in and interview him. He said, Well, I was just out there cruising around. <laughs> And I said, all right, whatever, just shoot me up, you know, we'll do it. So I came up with something at least look racy by putting a checker flag tail. Right. So anybody Googles cruisingsports.com, you'll find out that it, you know, it's it looks very 1957 Chevrolet-ish with a checker flag on it. But the cruising tie-in is cruising cars or, you know, definitely not boats. <laughs> so how did you build a team? You know what I mean? You started out in your in your house on the floor. So we started on the floor, and I went and actually bought a little metal desk from, uh, you know, those metal <laughs> things. You buy cheap little things. Yeah. Had it in there, and I had a went and bought a, a fax machine that was thermal paper that, that kind of smears when you put your finger on it. It's a big old <laughs> long sheet. And I bought an electric typewriter, and I had no idea how to were type. Those, were those, uh, back then, I think they were the rolls, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, yeah just roll out, you know. And, <laughs> right. and, I mean, you could, no matter if it's two hours old, you can still wipe your finger out and smear <laughs> right. all eight. You know, so, so somebody's got a hold of it, they smear it, you go, I can't read what's that. <laughs> Something important, yep. you know, important document for Chevrolet. <laughs> so the, uh, uh, so we're there, and my partners decided it'd be better if I moved over here to Nashville area, Hendersonville, to get away from all the commotion. Even though I had Dale's blessing, mm-hmm. it was still a lot of heat going on over there because, you know, that one partner was really pissed. Well, hey, or Dale winds up buying sports image, so all the heat goes away on that. And Dale was kind enough, honest to God. I mean, this is how big, big of a man Dale Earnhardt was. He uh, he always made you earn whatever you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So after he bought Sports Image, he says, he calls me one day. He says, hey, man, I got a driver. And I said, for what? And he goes, I'm going I'm going to build a race truck. I'm going to get Ron Horn today to drive. And I said, he said, you know who he is? I said, no. <laughs> he's always a good driver out of California. And I said, oh, hell, I'm more than happy taking him. He's driving for you. So now I had Skinner and Hornaday and, you know, Dale's blessing and mm-hmm. Richard Childers' blessing. Well, then Mr. Hendrick comes along, and they, they had Jack Sprague and Ricky Hendrick before he got, yeah. before he got killed. And um, so I had all these guys, right? And um, so it just, you know, I had the field covered. We won everything there was to win. I don't know if a Dodge truck or four truck, you know, <laughs> won, but two or three races the whole season, you know, so we dominated with Chevrolet. Steve. So that so to ask your question though about getting started, so I move over here and I'm in a vacant building over here. that's a little small rundown wore out that Kenny Rogers actually owned the Entertainer. Really, Kenny Rogers owned it. My office was used to be a wash stall where you know wash cars because he's a car collector. This was their car shop, and so this thing was like forty, I guess forty five hundred square feet when that big and had to have offices, had to have warehouse, had to do a big big business out of it. Had really no parking lot. Had had a full blown you know, tractor trailer out yeah. outside. They went to races and nowhere to park it. Had storage pods eventually rented. The person I hired that started the company with me, though, or, or I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say with started it. She was my first employee. Was Amy uh, P. Amy Green, eventually, and so she uh, walked in from high school and she says, "I don't know what you do here, but I need a job." 
And I said, well, I'm not sure what I'm doing here yet either. But I, said, <laughs> I, said, well, I said, well, let's just bring it. At the time, again, now I'm back on the floor because my metal desk was at Charlotte. It got left to Charlotte. So I'm on the floor Down with a phone jack. Yeah, with a jack plugged in the wall that I didn't know the phone system worked. I found a phone in a closet, plugged it in. I, it went buzzes. I'm like, this ain't called. So, so uh, I, I, I uh, sat on the floor and did the same thing as I was doing back in Charlotte. We built a business out of that, though. Wow. We had to order everything from scratch. I mean, you know, the racking, the the goods, the crate, the art, you know, get the goods in. Right. And we wrote everything by hand back then. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't any computers. Right. Wasn't any email. Wasn't none of this kind of stuff. Wasn't no cell phones, none of that crap. You know, we're we're handwriting dealer orders, handwriting picking tickets, handwriting, you know, all the billing, everything. What a great first episode. I had so much fun sitting down in Nashville with Steve and his son, Justin Perkins, from Cruising Sports, that we couldn't get it all in in one hour, in one episode. So we stretched it out to two episodes. And in the next episode, I asked Steve, I said, have you always been a leader? Were you a born leader? Or did you learn how to be a leader? If you enjoyed episode number one, episode number two is going to be even better. I promise you that. And I want to let everybody know that you can choose a platform to listen to the Outstanding Life podcast, like Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Player FM. Don't forget, now you can donate on PayPal, and you can support on Patreon and support once a month. You can go to MotivationalCowboy.com. This is Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy, thanking each and every one of you for listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast. And until next time, be safe, have fun, and have yourselves an outstanding day. Outstanding Life is a Soul Bridge Studio production.